0: And he said, all right, I'm going to teach you what I taught Steve Jobs. And he asked me this question, which I heard later on Bill Gates considered the best question he'd ever been asked. And that is, he said, all right, Vern, take a piece of paper out, and I want you to make a list of the top 25 influencers that you need to bolt on to this initiative for it to scale. And he said, hey, the bigger the names, the faster you'll scale. So I'm like, all right. Back then, President Ronald Reagan, he was the first name I put on the list, and then I wrote down Steve Jobs and Michael Dell. And I'm like, man, I got to get this Ink magazine and this Venture magazine behind me. Those literally were the first five of the 25. And then we would spend an hour every week figuring out how I was going to get them on board. And it was crazy. 36 months later, I had them all on board. We stand today. The business method. The business, With method. The, shadow. the
1: business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast. Featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The business method. Hey, hey listeners. Welcome to the show, you guys. Today's guest is one of the more influential entrepreneurs of our time. Now you may or may not have heard of him before. But if you've seen what he does and what he's done, you're going to understand why he's probably one of the most influential entrepreneurs that are out there today. Now, his name is Vern Harnish, and some of you may know him from his book, Scaling Up. The reason I think he's become one of the most influential entrepreneurs is because he created this amazing organization called Entrepreneurs' Organization, or EO. In the past, it was known as Young Entrepreneurs' Organization. Now, EO has over 195 chapters all around the world, over 14,000 members. Now, all the members, I believe, are seven-figure entrepreneurs hire higher in 62 different countries. And I've met and, and I know quite a few EO members, and they're not people that, that squander life. The EO members that I know are incredibly high-driven, amazing entrepreneurs that have built really great businesses and continue to do that and try to help one another throughout that process. Uh, I have a, a close friend, Peter Keller, who has just raved about EO. He sits actually on the board of EO in Austin, Texas. And every time I talk to him, he's just raving about the community. So I really wanted to get Vern on the microphone to talk about building such a powerful organization. One of the things that I've noticed about myself is that through podcasting, I get to build this awesome network. It's really beneficial and it's really exciting. And that's what Vern started to do in the 80s before podcasting was even around. And he talks about, you know, making a top 25 list in every city that you go to and uh, doing what you can to connect with those top 25 people. And that's really insightful. And he also talks about his top 400 list of people that he continually wants to connect with. And it's just really Uh, wisdom of the ages when you talk about influence, influencer marketing, and um, scaling up and building a community like EO with Vern. So this is the story of EO with Vern Harnish.
0: Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics.
1: Hey, listeners, welcome to the Business Method Podcast. I'm so glad to have you, and I'm really glad to have our guest today. He's a very honored and special guest and also very well-known in the entrepreneurial world. Vern is also the author of The Greatest Business Decisions of All Time, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, and Scaling Up. And Scaling Up is the book that has won eight major international book awards, and if that's not enough, Vern is also the founder of Gazelles and a company called Scaling Up, a global Global executive education and coaching company with over 180 partners all over the world. Vern, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Good, Chris,
0: and I love Austin as well. Almost, Omo- as a cool place as Boulder, Colorado, where I'm. I'm called- <laughs> <laughs> I know Austin just wants to be the Boulder of Texas, and that's all right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like there's so many amazing entrepreneurs coming out of both Austin and Boulder. I think like in the U.S., um, Austin and Boulder have, you know, other than like Silicon Valley and, and New York, but have it, they're, they're becoming a new meccas for entrepreneurship, it seems like. Would you agree?
0: Yeah. Well, we were lucky. You know, Brad Feld, who co-founded Techstars, chose to relocate here from Boston. He founded actually the EO chapter in Colorado after Faust founding the EO Boston chapter. And he's really been an important force here in this region uh, around tech, tech companies.
1: Who who was there an original person that came to Austin? Do
0: you know? No, um I wonder who that would be. Yeah, I, I think all of it's got to really emanate from what Michael Dell's done there, down there. You know, clearly, but totally other guys, you know, Rackspace is there locally and it's done well and several other companies. So uh, and it's a great yeah. university town as is Boulder with CU. I think that always helps.
1: How, how long have you been in Boulder now, Vern?
0: Well, on and off, I was kind of born and raised in this area. And then I was here 90 to 97 and then moved back uh, about a year ago. So it's good to be home.
1: And you were from Kansas City, right? Or uh, Kansas, correct?
0: No, no, I just went, uh, my, my car broke down on the way from Colorado to Boston and ended up at wichita state university but no, my home my home state
1: okay gotcha well welcome to the show my friend i'm glad glad to have you on and um i would like to do a really uh good interview on you talking about entrepreneurs organization and the history of it and the scaling of it you know i have actually your book scaling up uh sitting next to me right now and um it is really popular amongst the the entrepreneur scene And uh, for good reason, for good reason. But one thing I haven't seen out there is like an in-depth interview or conversation about creating entrepreneurs organization. For me, this is absolutely fascinating because to create I'm a community builder myself and to create a community like you have. Now, I know it's 33 years old, but to create it like you have. and, And I would think it's probably one of the more powerful Communities in the world, really, and with such influence. So, could you tell us, Vern, like, where did the idea for EO come from?
0: Well, I it came from YPO. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time with YPOers when I was in college in Wichita, Kansas. I worked with a YPO-er and kind of helped build his company to about twelve million when I was in college. So. You know, I knew that organization well, and my mentor, the late Fran Jibera, Fran owned, was part of partnership of about 75 companies, helped build, Lear, uh, build Learjet and, and other firms. and So he invited me in after I graduated to helped build their Center for Entrepreneurship there in Wichita. And Wichita's got a lot of really cool entrepreneurs. That's where Pizza Hut launched and ran a center, and obviously the whole light aircraft industry is based there. Residence in Jack the a good friend who founded that hotel chain and several others that he sold. So a great entrepreneurial community. And so out of that, I launched uh, Ace. And the inspiration was Steve Jobs. I mean, here's a, a guy in his 20s that scaled almost 2 billion. Folks don't realize is a publicity stunt. and That was then the genesis for YEO as a publicity stunt. I got a hold of John Nasebitt. John had just come out with Megatrends. And I said, hey, use that, that new, you know, fangled technology you've got using the Lockheed databases, this kind of content analysis that he had pioneered to see if you can identify the top 100 young entrepreneurs under the age of 30. Because I figured the best way i was going to get them to come speak to all of us college entrepreneurs was to give them an award. You know, entrepreneurs would rather be chosen than sold, right. uh, something you know, Ernst & Young and others have, have figured out along the way. And when we did that first list, I don't think a lot of people realized, but Bill Gates and Steve Jobs were the same age. And when that list came out, Steve was on top, 1.9 billion. Bill Gates was a poultry, uh, fourth place at 256 million. <laughs> And then the list fell off very quickly. Michael Dell debuted at 19 million, and he was number nine. So it was rare earth up there. And, and we used to report the statistics with and without Steve Jobs' revenue because it's so skewed, all of the statistics. And so to think that Steve's company was eight times bigger than Bill Gates, it's, it's one of the reasons why Bill would – visit, you know, we'd come down and see Steve. Steve never really went up to Redmond to see Bill. (laughs) And with his, with Steve's success, uh, it really was an uh, inspiration for young entrepreneurs. Because a lot of folks don't realize back in the 80s when I launched, it was not cool to be young and an entrepreneur. Most most parents' attitude was, that's cute, but like, when are you going to get a real job? Yeah. And Steve proved that being an entrepreneur was a real job.
1: And it's interesting because nowadays the millennials and the young people, instead of looking up to gangsters or whomever, like the, th- the cool thing to do is, is to be a CEO, to be an entrepreneur, to be an executive. And I think that's only going to keep growing, which is really cool. Now, Vern, you mentioned, um, YPO was the inspiration for, um, uh, YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization, which became now EO. Um, can you tell the listeners what YPO is?
0: Yeah, well, it was founded by a guy named uh, Ray Hickok out of Rochester, New York. And his dad died suddenly, and they had a company called Hickok Belt. And about the same time, Bell and Howe, which is based in Rochester as well, I can't remember who's Bell or Howe, but they had the same kind of tragic family situation. And you get Two young guys in their 20s running all of a sudden family dynasties and not knowing what to do. And so they teamed up and that was the launch of the young president's organization, which I think is close to 80 years old. It is the, in my view, the most influential business organization in the world. Literally, you can get to any head of state. Uh, The president of Panama is a YPO or George Bush was a YPO or. And it's really made up of three groups. You've got about a third of the members are entrepreneurs, a third are what are called hired guns. So you've been hired in to be president of a company and it could be you know substantial companies. And then a third are family owned. And so with that mix, it makes it a unique dynamic. Uh, then YEO, which I really felt, and it was the night I hosted Steve Jobs' first public speech after being fired from Apple, which is a whole other story, and I saw Steve kind of stand alone over in the corner that I realized, uh, inspired by a guy named Joe Mancuso, and his line, it's okay to be independent, but no reason to be alone. And I, I realized that these entrepreneurs uh, needed a place to, to hang out. And so it was that evening that I passed the hat and started gathering up the funds to get YEO launched. That was In eighty six, we finally got it launched in eighty seven, which is, as you stated accurately, this is the thirty third anniversary of the organization.
1: Wow, that's amazing! What was it? Do you think that really called to you? Do you feel like you were just naturally a community organizer, or someone that, or, or did you feel the void as a young entrepreneur and not and seeing where other people did not have a place to hang out at?
0: Yeah, well, I, I saw with my dad, he, so I grew up around Chris Entrepreneurs. My, grand, my grandmother and grandfather on my dad's side both had their own small businesses. My grandmother was an upholsterer. My grandfather was early on in the TV business. And you know, my grandmother, I saw her just work her fingers to the bone. And, and so my dad, who was a rocket engineer, literally for the Titan program with Martin Marietta out in Littleton, Colorado, which is where I was kind of born and raised, He and three of his buddies teamed up and they launched a significant company that grew very rapidly. And then they lost it all uh, due to a customer that owed him about a half a million dollars, which was a lot of cash flow back then. And then the 73 recession finally just knocked him out. And and dad never recovered from that. And I I really swore that I would try to help, you know, any entrepreneur I could not go through what he went through and what our family went through when all of that uh, blew up. So it's very missional for me.
1: When you, that night you passed the hat, uh, how much money did you raise? And then what were the next steps, Vern, to, to getting YEO off the ground?
0: Well, it really, um, Chris, you know, and I know you're big an in influencers, it was really something that happened 36 months prior to that that really caused all of it to take off. And that's when I cold called Regis McKenna because I had read that he was coaching Steve Jobs and Intel and Genentech and everyone else in Silicon Valley on how to scale. And, you know, marketing's critical as I talk about it, scaling up as a function. So I'm like, look, if he was able to help Steve get to 2 billion, maybe he can help me. So I reached out and I think I had a great elevator pitch, wanted to create this global organization for entrepreneurs. And he said, yes. And he assigned a young guy to me who I'm still close friends with decades later, Rich Moran, who went on to, you know, be a very successful uh, author and business person and VC and Silicon Valley. And he said, all right, I'm going to teach you. I was his only free client. He said he'd ever signed up. I'm going to teach you what I taught Steve Jobs. And I remember him sending him out this big manual, like, I wish I still had it today. And he said, you really have to start with two things. One, a marketing meeting separate from sales, even if it's with yourself. And it was, it was rich and I on a call once a week for an hour. And you know, it was the only function Steve jobs later shared at Apple was the marketing function in a meeting Wednesday afternoon. It was like three hours. And then he said, he asked me this question, which I heard later on Bill Gates considered the best question he'd ever been asked. And that is he said, all right, Vern, take a piece of paper out. And I want you to make a list back then the top 25 influencers, relationships, brands, that you need to bolt on to this initiative for it to scale. And remember, I'm just a student at Wichita State University. I'm really you know, a nobody. And he said, hey, the bigger the names, the faster you'll scale. So I'm like, all right. Back then, President Ronald Reagan, he was the first name I put on the list. And then I wrote down Steve Jobs and Michael Dell. And I'm like, man, I gotta get this Ink Magazine and this Venture Magazine behind me. Those literally were the first five of the 25. And then we would spend an hour every week figuring out how I was going to get them on board. And it was crazy. 36 months later, I had them all on board. Uh, I got you know, Bernie Hold, Goldhurst, rest his soul, who founded Ink Magazine, became a dear friend and supporter. And Arthur Lipper, on Venture Magazine, would give me free ads. And like Inkwood, Arthur's still a close friend of mine. Uh, living out in San Diego, got President Ronald Reagan to be the first president of the U.S. to utter the word entrepreneur. Ultimately, I got invited to the White House, and he was supposed to, by the way. And, and, and with Steve Jobs, I then was able to network my way, obviously through Regis McKenna and a guy named Daniel Lewin, who was PR, handling uh, PR for Steve at the time, and others convinced Steve to come out finally of hiding and talk about this. And President Reagan was supposed to fly in for it. And thank goodness he didn't, because we we're at the Bonaventure Hotel in L.A. and the security that you have to put into place to host a president's crazy. <laughs> so he sent He sent a telegram. Uh, I have it somewhere in files. And he had Mayor Bradley sub for him, and and Mayor Bradley did a great job. Mm-hmm. You know, the airport's named after Bradley. There in L.A. today, and got on stage and welcomed us on behalf of the president. And it was crazy. I was sitting there next to Steve Jobs. I had Michael Dell and Mark Cuban and Kevin Harrington, who was the infomercial king, and Neil Balter with California Closets. And mm-hmm. you know, it was it was it was the young entrepreneurs uh, under <laughs> under thirty there. And that that evening, we we had the momentum. That allowed me then to pass the hat. I didn't raise much; it was just, it was tens of thousands of dollars instead of hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Um, but the biggest issue was getting the IRS to believe that a group of entrepreneurs should have a nonprofit.
1: Because
0: <laughs> uh, they were really looking. And by the way, it's the biggest mistake I ever made is I should have kept it for profit, but yeah. not for the money. But uh, just I think sometimes nonprofits can be tough. Um, you know, to organize because it's a bunch of volunteers. But anyway, we got it finally launched in 1987, but it was all around the simple idea of influencers. And so what really helped then YEO scale is YPO had a similar, had an executive program at Harvard for years. And I felt EO or YEO needed something similar. So I actually went to Harvard and they said, no, we're not going to do it. But so I went next door to MIT. And through a set of influencers there, including Bernie Goldhirsch, who was a graduate of MIT, and got convinced them to partner on an executive program. Now and for Inc. magazine to lend his name. Now you gotta put this in perspective. At, At that moment, we only had 156 what you'd call members. And I I called a member, anyone who paid to come to one of our events. And and to come to those events were more expensive than what were the early dues. So it was legitimate money they were paying, but I only had 156 members and convinced Inc. and MIT to loan their brands to that executive program called the Birthing of Giants. It was called the Inc. I mean the MIT Inc. YEO Birthing of Giants, and we had over 800 applicants for that first event. And I guarantee, if it had just been a YEO, I probably would have eight. <laughs> and I, no, seriously. And in that yeah. very first class was Brad Feld, you know, who went on to found boulders I mentioned. And Karen Banky went out then and uh, founded the San Francisco chapter. Today owns Juice Beauty, and it was an amazing first, second, third, ten classes that really those those graduates went out and built uh, EO and YEO around the globe. Many of them went on to be the early international chairs of yeah. So it was all about influencers.
1: That's in- incredible. Um, I love that. Now, a lot of the people that you have met throughout, you know, your time in creating this, um, in the first few years, Vern, are pretty. You know, you're you're rubbing shoulders with Ronald Reagan. You're rubbing shoulders with, um, you know, the founders of Inc. and and you're going to MIT and connecting there. So so those thirty six months before you know that initial night when you were passing the hat, Um, you were, you know, just a kid in college. How were you finding these connections and maybe share in a way or share a couple stories where the listeners could take these stories and and apply it to themselves and their business?
0: Well, Regis McKenna's team taught me kind of a technique that I still use today to connect with people all over the world, you know, and the first fundamentals, you've got to give before you ask, you know, the people that you want to get to are always being asked to do things. And you've got to figure out what's in it for them. And what can you give them first, if nothing else, give them your attention, give them their enthusiasm. So I remember we're on one of those one hour calls, and I'm like, I got to get to the owner of Inc. magazine. And we read that he's going to be giving a speech down in Dallas, Texas. And I'm up in Wichita, Kansas. So I hop in my 81 Pontiac and I head south six hours and attend the talk. And you know, you dress nice, you sit on the front row, you nod your head a lot, you know, giving attention. And then, you know, when Arthur came off the stage, I walked up to him and you better have your elevator pitch nailed. You know, hey, Mr. Lipper, you know, appreciate all that you're doing for the entrepreneurial community around the globe and how, you know, critical as you've stated, they are to the economy, and I'm. I've launched the world's largest. You know, hey, I did not even it yet, but I've I launched <laughs> the, what I call the world's you know largest collegiate entrepreneur organization. And I need your help. And you know, those those are three powerful words. You know, I need help. And and then and then I said, look, hey, if you were in my shoes, how would you do this? And I knew he was a guy that you know loves to give advice and. And I think he'd appreciate it for me saying this pontificate. Uh, we all love <laughs> Arthur for that. And I let him go and I, I was diligently taking notes. And then you got to imagine this way before the internet or anything. I then wrote him a handwritten letter and said, Mr. Lipper, here are the 27 things you said I should do. I've already done three of them. You know, all, all a mentor wants is a great student that's willing to act, listen and act. And then I followed up a month later with a note saying, hey, I've done four more things on the list and I found two that aren't going to work. And by then, I had a, he was endeared to me. And he realized that I had a bias for action and that I was willing to listen. And I was also willing to push back. I wasn't just a pushover. And that's, you know been a lifelong relationship still today. Now, today, what you can do and this is how I got to Jack Welch, GE, and Greg and Brenneman, who is the top turnaround guy in the world, raises billions at a time, and helped Bethune turn around Connell Airlines and, and 50 other companies. What you do is, first, you get to know their assistant, and by name, Roseanne Badowski, uh, Jack Welch's assistant, and you connect with them. And then what you can do today is you put the person's name and their company name in Google Alerts and you let Google do the work for you. And as, you know, if they're people of influence, they're gonna show up a lot in the news. And once they do, then it's an excuse to reach out and congratulate them, comment on it, and pay attention. And they appreciate that. There's a lot, a lot of people that are willing to go to that kind of effort. And then you find something that you can do for them that's beneficial. And that's how you nurture that relationship. So use Google Alerts. It's the most powerful tool that I don't think a lot of people use enough of. You can't, if you know what Google Alerts is, Google, Google Alerts. And it yeah. just pops up. You put whatever <laughs> words in, including words of your own industry. And I track anyone who mentions the word scaling up. You know, I'm, I'm alerted in my inbox.
1: How cool. Vern, okay, so take us back. So you passed the hat around uh, around the room that night and raised you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And what were the next steps to setting up uh, YEO after that?
0: Well, the first was you know, the name of the company is really important, the organization. And I got real pushback, as you would expect, from YPO, calling an organization called YEO. And I really wanted the organizations to work together. So my mentor said, look, you need to change the name. So for a while, that's what's little known in our history, is for a while we went as Y-E-A, yay, you know, really (laughs) a dumb acronym, Young Entrepreneurs Association. And then I get a phone call from this really wealthy guy who goes, "Um, that's my trademark. And I go, well, you know, I looked and yes, you had Y-E-A, but you let it lapse. So I've got it. And he goes, well, look, I have a lot more money than you do, kid. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even like Y-E-A. So I go back to my mentor, my Y-P-O mentor, and I go, look, could you set up a meeting for me with the founder of YPO? I mean, what's the, what's the, you know, more important influencer in YPO than its founder, Ray Hickok. And so he did. And I made the journey up to Rochester, New York. And I laid out what was the vision for YEO and why, why there need to be this separate organization from YPO that was just for entrepreneurs who, and at the time YPO had this criteria, you had X number of employees because it really was about uh, how do you manage something larger? And I said, look, Ray, entrepreneurs, we don't even like people, uh, you know, our, our view of a great company is no employees and a gazillion in revenue. And he laughed and he said, and I asked him then, would he be willing to sign on as the honorary founder of YEO? And he said, yes. And I still have the letter that he wrote and I've shared it in the archives at both YPO and, and YEO. And I knew once I had YPO's founder on board that I could bring YPO back to letting us use YEO. Now, it wasn't for six months that I found out though why he was so quick to say yes, because it even surprised me, Chris. Mm -hmm. And he came down to see me in Washington, DC, because that's where his daughter was, Kimberly Hickok Smith. And he said, hey, I want you to meet my daughter. And sure enough, I knew why then, He felt there needed to be a YEO. She was run at the time, I probably got the numbers wrong, but something like a $12 million company with only seven employees. So he couldn't qualify for the very organization her dad founded. And so when I was describing this organization for these entrepreneurs, I was describing his daughter. And that's why he signed on so quickly. And what then only has been recently revealed because it got lost somewhere in the history. I then tapped Kimberly, the international chair of YEO, when I turned over the reins. And so first I'm proud that early, early on, YEO had a woman, you know, top leader. Uh, And we've had a good share of them throughout our history. So now I've got the founder of YPO and his daughter, Involved with it's game over. Man, here's what's exciting: just a couple months ago, uh, it's now official. And only took 33 years. EO and YPO have signed at the global level a joint cooperative agreement to host events together. We've been doing it informally, and in some cities, the relationships is you know better than others. And uh, Maciel Haggerty, the the recent international chair of YPO. And I are going to be the two keynoters at the first official EOYPO event, which is going to be in New Orleans here in about a month.
1: Wow, that's exciting! So I know Vern that it took you guys ten years. Is it correct ten years to hit a thousand members? Is that right? Uh, fifteen hundred. So fifteen hundred. I
0: yeah, I got it to one hundred fifty six in the first kind of six months, and then you know made just a few good decisions. And one of those is I brought on a student of mine at the University of Maryland, Mohammed bob to be really the day-to-day leader of the organization. And he, as executive director, I think we later changed the title to CEO. He's the one that really then scaled it from 150 to 1,500. Uh, I was still chairing the Birthing of Giants program, so we launched a lot of the leaders who went out to start chapters out of that. But Mo was the day-to-day guy who made it happen. He's an unbelievable person and today runs an organization, Forum Resources, that is one of the leading forum trainers around the globe.
1: In those early days, Vern, when you were still, you know, you're, you're sitting at 150 people or so, what were some of the things you did You did to curate the community, to curate the culture in YEO, to make sure that people uh, understood they were part of something that was great and then, uh, and then try to get new members at the same time?
0: Well, it was really continue with that idea of influencers. So we had this... So at that first MIT program, uh, what I did is Inc. Magazine had just published what they considered the dream team. Who would be the top six entrepreneurs that you would pull together if you could launch a dream team company? And five of those six were my first speakers then at that executive program. And because we had such amazing brands there, that was really a draw. We also did these meetings, and they were good fundraisers, but I had what I ca- call mom meetings, meeting of the minds. And I would invite a group of those early members to visit the private home. Uh, I remember going to see Donald Byrd. Donald had started People Express Airlines. It went from zero to a billion in four years and then fell off a cliff in four months. And we went and visited his home in Bernardsville, New Jersey, beautiful, beautiful area. And he invited us up to his home office where he had, he said all he had left of the airline were a few airline seats. And that's what we sat in, in his office. And he just mesmerized us with the story of scaling from zero. Back then it was hard to go to a billion. It seems easier today, but back then in the eighties, uh, he regaled us in his stories of what it took to do that and how we built such great culture. And Then, what happened that caused him to lose it in four months? We did an early event like that with Ted Turner, and which were just amazing. And then, obviously, with, with Bernie Goldhurst at his penthouse suite just above his offices, Frank Magazine, there in the harbor of Boston. So, we did a lot of those really high profile meetings with with top well-known entrepreneurs. And that was an amazing draw that brought us in, then really top members. And then once you have the top, the rest fill in.
1: In those early days, Vern, how, how were you attracting so many, I mean, so many high profile people, like what what was your strategy for reach out, connecting with somebody? Say, you know, you wanted to connect with Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Ted Turner, like what what was your process?
0: You know, many times I would just pick up the phone Mm -hmm. and again, it was, as I described, you know, you've got to get to know their assistant very well and treat them with utmost respect and then have a good uh, proposition. What's in it for them? Why would they be interested in doing something like this? And you you can make it happen. And then what, and and what happens is, once you get the first few, all the rest fall, Hey, we just ho- you know we just did an event with Ted Turner and Ted at the time was just on fire with c n n and his big ranch and all the stuff that he was doing. Jane Fonda was actually there at the meeting uh, uh, with Ted, which was really special and once you get a few dominoes to follow the rest, come easy
1: do you have any do you have any good stories about connecting with influencers that are that may be really interesting Vern like um Somebody you reached out to and you just had a, an incredible experience with. I'm sure you've had dozens of them or hundreds of them, probably. But anything that like stands out that would make a good um, a good story for the listeners.
0: Well, you know, it's it's tangential answer I think to your question. But remember when Jesse, what's his last name, who played Mark Zuckerberg in uh, the, the movie about Facebook? And he said the the toughest thing, no, no, he was playing Steve Jobs when he played Steve. He said the toughest thing to, no, wait a second. Was it Mark Zuckerberg or Steve? Anyway, here's why it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because Michael um, Dell, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, those I've met. I've never had a chance to meet Bill Gates in all of these years. They all have this stare. And, and I remember Jesse, the, the actor, talking about the toughest thing he had to master in playing as Mark Zuckerberg was mastering the stare. And it, it is a real thing. I've only seen it a half a dozen times on this planet. And if and when I do see it again, I know that's going to be, you know, the next Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg.
1: What do you think that stare is exactly?
0: Uh it is absolute intense focus. It's so it's such a deep focus it burns a hole right through you. As if you're not even there.
1: <laughs> Have you ever asked anybody about it? No, I haven't, actually.
0: Yeah, the last thing you want to do is ask somebody with that stare about that stare.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking about, are, What are you staring they are at?
0: Not, they are not going to care. The other, um, uh, Wayne Hazanga, the only other time I saw it was when I met Wayne, rest his soul. You know, Wayne's the only entrepreneur on the planet that has scaled three multi-billion dollar plus public companies and three radically different industries, you know, garbage collection, waste management, renting videos, blockbuster video, and selling cars, Auto nation And so I had a chance to spend some time with him to really understand his secret. But the first thing I noticed when I met him were these just unbelievably blue eyes that just can burn a hole right through you. And I knew, <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is one of that special group that know how to scale things hugely.
1: Surely you have some sort of stare going on, don't you, Vern? No, no, not at all. And <laughs> I, I, I think, no, I
0: think um, if, if I can take any credit at all, is I may be the only guy on the planet that could have launched EO because I really don't have an ego about any of it. and And it also, guys and gals don't intimidate me at all i don't know why but i'm very relaxed with them and i love to celebrate what they've uh, achieved and feel zero pains of jealousy about it at all it's, it's more of an academic interest in how they've done it and then trying to deliver in a really practical way their lessons to other entrepreneurs
1: it's incredible on on a micro level Vern, when you guys were i guess you could say scaling eo uh, YEO to eo when you're setting up in a new city like how would you make sure that uh leadership got formed in a new city um do do the members say hey you know we're in des moines there's no there's no there's no chapter here can we set it up how's, how's that process work
0: well before that as we were scaling ace I'd go into a city, and first thing I'd do is take a piece of paper out and make the list of 25. I mean, it was a tool that Reed just taught everyone. And, you know, Steve Jobs used it when he needed to launch iTunes. Took a piece of paper out and made a list of all the key players in the music industry. And by the way, he couldn't get to any of them. You know, their, their egos are so massive. But he began to network his way through. And I was reading an article that Edgar Bronfman Jr. Uh, wrote or was quoted in saying, you know, it was amazing that here Steve trumped everybody in the industry and really became the king of music distribution. And so I'd go and I remember when we were hosting our event, uh, Ace YEO event in Chicago. I'm like, all right, what's the biggest name in Chicago? And it's the Pritzkers. And I networked my way to them, got them to agree to put their name to our event. Once I had the Pritzkers, we got it to be 20. And we could get anything done we needed to in Chicago for that event. And so we'd do. The, we'd really encourage the same thing to happen. You know, you get the right leader, and, and then you find the right influencers in town. Our, our, our first big chapter in the U.S. was St. Louis, which is where I'm heading tomorrow. And there, uh, the entrepreneur that launched it teamed up with one of the YPOers, Arthur Scharf, and they got one of the banks involved. And, the, and they did their first event with the significant bank locally, who invited, who ended up being a bunch of the first members. That was a chapter, I think, that went from like zero to 60 overnight. And the reason we were, you know, kind of chided to do that is Peter Thomas, a YPOer who had founded Century 21 in Canada. I had used the fact that Ray Hickok, founder of YPO was coming then to one of our early EO or white EO meetings. And so Peter came down because he had never met Ray and he knew Ray was ill and Ray passed away shortly after that. And so he wanted to meet Ray. Well, Peter came down and saw what we were doing in this YEO EO thing. And he immediately went up to Canada and used his influence and his yacht and his other toys and moved quickly across Canada and launched a series of chapters, and for a moment, Canada had more members than the United States, and they got a 10th really? the population. Oh, wow. So that kind of goes into, you know, we better get our act together. <laughs> there for a while, there was quite quite some both competition and tension between the Canadian groups, uh, <laughs> Canadian YEO and US YEO. And by the way, to his credit, Peter's the one who, as a YPO, brought in the f- more formal YPO structure into YEO. We 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 are structured exactly like YPO. Our forms are on the same way. We call our leadership the same thing. You know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. And um, again, I'm super excited after 33 years, the two organizations have signed this formal cooperation agreement.
1: Yeah, congratulations, Pat. That's well, awesome.
0: and the guy that credit there, Sean McGinnis. I mean. Sean was one of our early international chairs of um, uh-huh. YPO out of Canada, who now is the CEO of YPO. So you've got an <laughs> ex-EO member, leader of EO, in now as the leader of YPO. That, that's helpful.
1: Wow. So uh, how, did, how did you keep the leadership going in, in YEO, Vern? Um, are, are all the leaders there, board members, are they volunteers? They are, and by
0: the way, I can really take no credit for that because I, I in 1990. So I we launched in '87. We kicked off in '86. Our official launch was '87. By the end of '90, so 36 months later, I knew I needed to move on, and, uh, and that's when we put in really formal leadership and a leadership process. And the only thing I really contributed then was I continued to run, which generated a lot of funds and. I think really important members was that executive program at MIT that was my role then for fifteen years uh, but uh, those early founding board members, Neil Balter, then became an early international chair and greg stem and and I, I, you know if I did something pretty good it was I got the right early group together, including Ted Leonsis. Ted went on to you know be the partner of Steve Case and Scaling Up AOL, and he designed our first logos and all of those kind of things. I think we had a good initial group that I pulled together, and once that happens, it, it takes a life of its own, and, and I knew it would live and, and thrive after that. Not that, it, that we didn't have tough times, but like every organization, but it had a good foundation.
1: Was that hard for you to step away? Because like, I think a lot of people see if they build a baby like this and they think, you know, this is going to be something really amazing. It's hard. You know, you know this. It's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to step away from their businesses to exit their business. So Steve Jobs is a great example, right? Was it, you know, you created something that had the potential and became, you know, the biggest entrepreneur organization in the world. What were your thoughts and feelings going through that? Uh, How did you know that you needed to step away? And how were you okay with that?
0: I messed up that decision in scaling ACE, Associated Collegiate Entrepreneurs. I mean, it was, we were from startup to global in 36 months. And then I really blew the, I got in a big fight with my mentor. And that was terrible. And then, uh, cause man, when things are going well, the jealousies rage and I didn't do a good job of getting, um, the organization pivoted to the right leadership and it imploded. So I'm like, all right, that was an important lesson. I'm not going to let that happen again. So I think, you know, again, handpicking Mo to come in and be the day to day and then getting Kimberly to be the first international chair, and then that first formal board that came in and surrounded her and supported her um, and pulled the organization through some tough times uh, was 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 critical so I and I needed to go out and make a living you know I, I never took a penny from the organization though I benefited greatly in my life um, from eO but I never took a penny in those early days.
1: So for you, it was just kind of a, a bit of a hobby. No, no. When anything, it
0: wasn't a hobby at all. But, uh, it was a serious, you know, missional, nonprofit venture. But, you know, I had to pay the bills along the way. And I had then had uh, got married then in 92 and, and started a family. And, you know, you need to start cranking some bucks.
1: When you look at the communities and entrepreneur organizations that are out there today. Um, I'm a member of a couple of them that, you know, just I really enjoy being a part of and that fill niches. And this is something you talk about quite often, but filling a niche and drilling down a niche even farther and farther and farther until there's uh, so very few uh, that that niche is so small that it attracts the right people really easily, and it's a no-brainer to join that. Like, what are do you feel like there's any entrepreneur organizations out there that are missing in the world? Say somebody's listening, and they're you know you could mention something. And they're like, yes, that's me. I want to start start a community like that.
0: Well, it's it's funny you brought brought this up. We just had this conversation with some of the regional leadership of EO last week when i was in asia and a little side note eo is about to announce its first new rebranding in what might be 15 years so super excited about that wow cool i I never i never was a fan of the the, this last logo we've had for all these years the the fuel gauge Uh Uh, but that's a a whole other story and we talked we had this very conversation about EO probably needs to niche itself or it's going to get these niches picked off. Right. And so I actually kind of laid out, I, I would love to bring back the old CEO brand, the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, maybe as a brand instead of this GSCA program that we've got. And we do this wonderful thing with these college students, but then they they go off on their own and we don't really have an organization for them to be and I know EO is talking about that at the global level. So I really see a progression. I think uh, there needs to be a CEO, Cleveland Entrepreneurs Organization. I've been a bit a big fan of bringing the YEO brand back, and that's for members under 35. An organization called YEN or something that a group of EO guys just bought. Uh, they actually tried to sell it to EO and I think EO made a mistake not buying it but uh, it's for young entrepreneurs and I think we need to fill that void and then I suggest that we also need on the top end an organization maybe called GEO the Global Entrepreneurs Organization where we reach back out to the Michael Dells and the Google Boys and others and really let them be honorary members. I mean Mark Cuban came to all of those early members and hung out with us and it'd be cool to have him be an honorary member of this global entrepreneurs organization. And then I just bought the URL XEO.org because there is an XEO.com that just launched and it's for XEO members. And so I think we either do it, you know, CEO, YEO, EO, GEO, XEO, or someone else is going to do it to us because these niches are important.
1: Right, good point. Good point. You have it. You have any thoughts on um, creating uh, specifically like a group for REOs, remote entrepreneur organizations?
0: Yeah, oh, there you go. I th- yeah. Look, I'm telling you, I think that there's uh, room for a lot of different niches like that, and and I I think it's one of the things that Mark Zuckerberg woke up to with Facebook when he's saying, "Hey, we got to go back to some of the original." reasons he launched was to be a place for these smaller communities to connect Realized that after he traveled around the us and you know met with people locally that it is all about your smaller community and if you can't really facilitate that smaller community within the larger community you're going to lose them
1: right so you guys are 33 years old now vern what do you predict for eo over the next 33 years
0: um, I think it, I think we're we hit our 25th anniversary, and I'm I'm seeing the exponential growth as we talk about in traditional companies. So, you know, I'm hoping the organization's on its way to 100,000 members, if not, you know, half a half a million.
1: Wow. Okay, I want to talk about your your new book that you have coming out. Um, you have a new book talking about the KPIs, key performance indicators of leaders. Yes. And, um, you know. So that's not the title. We're here. Right.
0: We right. I, I always struggle with last, the title. And <laughs> we're aiming to have it out in August this year, but, but that's the rough idea.
1: Okay, we'll keep our ears open. Let us know when it comes out, too. We'll send it out to our listeners. Yeah, um, but you're talking about the, the key performance indicators of listeners. And, you know, we talk so much. You are seem you seem like a natural, natural person of influence and really good at connecting with other influencers. You know, influence gets it a just sloppy name, you know, these days, like the used car salesman. Um, because there's so many people that are becoming Instagram influencers or social media influencers and using this uh, to promote things that aren't um, that they don't know about that turn out uh, to be you know negative in whatever situation. So just curious, uh, could you give us a, like a, maybe a little some tips on the KPIs of leaders and influencers? Uh, and we'll start there and, and I'll ask you some more later.
0: Well, the one the one that I want to uh, focus on, is going back to making this list. And for most of the EO members and YPOers, I suggest that list today is 100 to 400. And most industries are small. Most worlds are small and can be captured somewhere between 100 and 400 people. And so to me, the the key KPI is how many coffees, breakfasts, mid morning snack lunch second lunch third lunch do you have with your list and I think it's more important that you get on an airplane and fly across the country or across the globe and have the right dinner than it is the other hundred things that you think you need to get done and to me you know, the story I like to share is is Greg Brenneman you know Greg was one of the, one of the great turnaround guys uh, written a great book right now and all at once about how to really drive uh, companies to scale, and he—he he and Bethune are the ones who turn around Kana kind of Airlines and about 50 other companies. And he's got a list of about 400 kind of key players that he raises billions from, that he gets leads for opportunities, executives he might bring in. Just his his world. And then what he does, he chooses a book that touches him really personally each year, and then puts together a cover letter that shares kind of a vulnerability. That's how you build relationships through sharing vulnerabilities. And he sends it out to the list over the holidays. And at the end of the letter, it always says something like, hey, and if I'm in town, let's grab coffee or dinner. And Greg shared with me, he gets to about 250 people each year from that list of 400. And if you do the math, that means he's averaging every day, every work day. But it's no doubt why he has this unbelievably loyal network that he can go to if if, if he needs anything. Sam Zell's got something similar, the big real estate guru, I loved his book as well. And his list is similar in size, and he crafts a unique music box each year, picks then a song that was popular, and then rewrites the lyrics. Uh, related to what's been happening both in the industry, the real estate industry, he's a player in, as well as the world. And then he sends that music box out to his list. And as you're wandering around in that industry and you happen to be in someone's office and you see one of the classic Sam Zell music boxes, you know that you're in a world and there's some connection of that person back to Sam Zell. Um, kind of closer to home there in Austin, Sam Goodner, you know, Sam scaled up Catapult, uh, one of the early Microsoft solution providers that he ultimately sold to ChinaSoft. But he was, um, he was a master at taking a piece of paper out a couple months prior to Microsoft's big, you know, world summit that they do every year. It, it's been in Vegas the last couple of years. And he'd make the 100 the people out of the 60,000 that are going to be at that event that he wanted to make sure he connected with and then he would do two things he would arrange for that hundreds kind of private airport transfer to their hotel and then he would host an event that you wanted to be and be seen at and it was at those meetings where he networked his way into you know look he was a great operator but microsoft's human and you think they might be objective purely in giving out awards but I got to tell you, Catapult won every award you could possibly win as a Microsoft solution provider and got unbelievable leads. And ultimately, he used those events to network his way to ChinaSoft, which is who he sold the company to. By the way, just email me. I think he just raised another 60 plus million for the new venture he's doing uh, there in Austin. But anyway, I think it's really being clear. I've got a list of about 500. And then what are you doing? to continually nurturing nurture the relationships with that key list and that's Mm -hmm. the most important kpi i think
1: that's incredible i'm going to make a list i've got a list of people like to come on the podcast but um you know podcasting i'm sure you know this is such a great hack for networking and getting to know people and uh but i'm going to make a list to connect and do more coffees. so that's Excellent suggestion. Vern, I think we're going to wrap up here. Uh, any other tips you would like to leave the listeners or best places we can uh, find you at?
0: Well, it, it's interesting. Make sure you have the right name for your company. We talk about the right word or you want to own. And so we rebranded Gazelles. Uh, I think it was a pretty good name for a couple of decades, but it's hard to spell. Nobody could remember if it had one or two Zs or 12 Ls or was there an S at the end? I <laughs> yeah. read it when somebody asked me, you know, so give me your email address. It was just painful. So we've rebranded this last year, Scaling Up. So all people have to do is just remember the name of the book, Scaling Up. And you can go to scalingup.com and we have all kinds of our tools and resources and free articles and, and the like, and that's how you can find it. So I would encourage folks to, grab a copy of the book. Uh, If you can, get everybody in the company to read it. It makes it a lot easier to implement. And then go to scalingup.com and see how we can help.
1: Yeah. Check that out, guys. I've got a book sitting on my desk right here. Uh, Vern, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom. So thank you, Vern. You got it, Chris. Take care. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.